0: Hello, Daryl here. We have a varied and vibrant Total Soccer show for you today. We open by talking about the US Women's National Team's 4-0 win over Haiti. We have a theory about how Haiti made it so difficult for the US in the first half. And then we answer nine listener questions, including how we think an all-star EFL championship team would fare in the Premier League, uh, which players we think will be called up for Olympic qualifying for the men in March, what we would do if we were named co-commissioners of the NWSL, which would be a terrible idea, uh, but we'd give it a go, and where we think uh, Bobby Wood would fit best in Major League Soccer. Many, many questions beyond that. Before we get to all that, today's show is sponsored by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple. Amazon and Tesla. For as little as $1 and there's no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to robinhood.com That's robinhood.com But remember, all investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Hello and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who always makes a fast start. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello.
1: Hello. It's always a fast start and then a slow tapered start for the remaining 43 minutes.
0: I mean, that does describe pretty much from international team's start to Olympic qualifying. In the end, Mm -hmm. it was a 4-0 win over Haiti. Mm -hmm. It's not that bad. No. It was just a rough it was a rough first 45, right? Yeah, I think so. I think
1: basically anytime you score inside the first 2 minutes and make it look fairly easy, yeah. it's understandable but not ideal when you sort of take your foot off the collective gas, which is what I think kind of happened. I think there was a little bit of sharpness after the United States one went up 1-0 yeah. that you could see in some of the passing and some of the control and some of the decision making. Yeah. I think maybe they had a Strong halftime talk and then with Megan Rapinoe coming on to the second half things turned around quite a bit
0: was there something wrong with the right side of the field I noticed um, Abidal Campa, mm-hmm. who's normally so reliable yeah. like every pinged ball is like a perfect diagonal to someone's foot mm-hmm. her passes were a little all over the place her touch was a little loose and Kelly O'Hara had mm-hmm. 15 minutes where it looked like she couldn't control a football yeah. this is World Cup winner Kelly O'Hara
1: mm-hmm. um, I think it was ra- she raining she drinking chocolate milk no I think it was raining much harder than it <laughs> looked like on screen I do uh, (laughs) I'm trying to answer your question. Um, It was raining much harder, I think, than it seemed to indicate on the screen, which is why I think Mm -hmm. you saw people kind of moving away from the field. So I'm guessing ball was wet, uh, cleats were wet, control was a little sloppy. That said... It was unforced errors on a lot yeah. of occasions, especially from Kelly O'Hara. Some of the passes were out of bounds. Some of the touches were out of bounds. Yeah, it was not the strongest performance from her.
0: We speculated in studio that maybe the, the slowish start, apart mm-hmm. from the goal, the yeah. slow first 45, might be just literally a lack of game time, mm-hmm. right? So there were the friendlies under Vlatko towards the end of last year. But this is then the first competitive match. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's no NWSL, so no one's been playing competitively. Right. Is that a good enough excuse for that first 45? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Why yeah. do we need an excuse, though? Well, a reason because, like the last time we saw the the mm-hmm. US women's national team play competitive football, they mm-hmm. were ruthless yeah. and like uh, on top of things. And then I'm, I'm just trying to find explanations for why it wasn't the sort of goal after goal after goal against Haiti that Haiti that we were kind of expecting.
1: Well, I think part of that is, as you just said, the expectation that we just have this idea now. They've won the World Cup twice; they're the best team in the world, so they're going to destroy everybody. Nine, no, you're not going to win every game. Nine, yeah. no, unless Thailand you're playing Thailand, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, like again, if you reduce the expectations a little bit, see it as a 4-0 result in the end I think it's a good enough result but I think in the individual moments I think the rain is partially to blame I think the lack of game time or match experience for some of these players at least lately is to blame I think going up 1-0 is also sort of responsible because then you don't have it like we got to find a way through we got to make something happen yeah pressure's almost, kind of off right yeah. as
0: soon as Christian Press scores that goal and I think from a, a, a one shoot Lynn Williams right cross. and
1: so then I think it sets up this idea that like Oh, it's not going to be that hard. Like, oh, they're not going to challenge. And and keep on calling Canada and then Cuba. Yeah, Haiti. We're also. While being aggressive, there wasn't like they weren't immediately on U.S. players, and so there there seemed to be a lot of time on the ball for U.S. to to kind of try stuff, and I think that invites like, well, fine, I'll go on a dribble, I'll try a few things, and it doesn't create that sharpness you need. And then for their part, Haiti had some uh, some solid uh, craftiness, is how I'm going to call that
0: crafty, savvy. Mm -hmm. A lot of um, you noticed this before I did in studio. um, Essentially, any time they would concede a free kick, Mm -hmm. they would just. Tow the ball away. Uh, I mean, wouldn't slow the game at down best. And, a lot of yeah. times,
1: it was like they would try to take the free kick as though it had been called for them. Yeah, like genuinely, there's one in the first couple minutes when like uh, a Haiti player. Almost catches the ball like she knows she's handled it. Referee blows the whistle. She puts it down and is screaming at everybody to make runs through. Like she knows what she's doing in that moment. She's it's, buying time, yeah. right?
0: By by getting the ball mm-hmm. away, not letting the U.S. have a quick yeah. quick attack. I but mean, it was it, it
1: was it, it was not the kind of crafty that we'll see sometimes in professional soccer, where like a player will put the ball down and then like a player will run by and accidentally touch it, quote unquote, accidentally. It was a lot of like just kicking the ball away but the ref wasn't quite paying attention in that moment so it didn't seem as obvious as it actually was yeah and then yeah if it would go out of bounds for a throw in the ball would get kicked away just to slow it down if it went out for a corner the ball would get kicked away so good it, job. W- it was some clever work there yeah just good, to slow it down
0: good job haiti haiti mm-hmm. also had the ball in the back of the net they did in the 18th minute um direct we think mm-hmm. from uh, from the corner kick it was disallowed well maybe Think about why that didn't happen in a second, but I think it's also worth thinking about how the US ended up in that position. Sure. Because the passage of play... That led to that Haiti mm-hmm. corner was maybe the worst passage of play in the entire game for the U.S.
1: It was pretty. It was pretty bleak because it starts with <laughs> the United States trying to find passes and try to make something happen, and it's kind of a series of bad passes and poor touches. Yeah. leads to them conceding control of the ball, like on on Haiti's right hand side in Haiti's defensive third, more or less. And yeah. then because U.S. players overcommit or stab into challenges or out of position, they sort of just consistently lose the ball further and further and further up the field, closer and closer to there. The U.S. Say's mm. Goal.
0: Julie Ertz gets done. She
1: does. She it's so uh, rad. And then I think with that, like, like she, she gets done, and then the shot comes from forty yards out. Afterwards, like I beat Julie Ertz I better shoot. Um, <laughs> but even that is kind of strange because it's it's a decent shot, but it's not like a rocket or any sort of thing. So you would expect listener to be able to, at the very least, make the decision earlier to push that over the bar to push it out for a corner. Yeah. And it seems I like maybe a
0: catch to me. even when I see the replay, I think yeah. oh, she's going to catch that. Instead, she kind of parries it out.
1: For All a I can figure is that she from the trajectory in the beginning of the shot it looks like oh this is going way over the bar so she gets in the right position and only realizes maybe late that oh that ball is dipping down I better make a yeah, save got some bend on it, right? yeah. but she was not it, it it goes in terms of that with the uh, disallowed goal from the corner coming in mind with some of the crossing coming in mind it did make me wonder if she's just still not as strong as we would like her to be in the air yes. because here it's a late decision she should have been able to handle this one if not take it cleanly then at least punch it away or really make sure it goes out of bounds and you could see the sort of like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm doing in that final little half second.
0: So the um, possible Olympico mm-hmm. goal that was disallowed where it goes straight in from the corner kick number 8 may have got a, like a glance to it or not. Do we think that maybe Haiti were thinking Elissa doesn't Come off a line and attack the ball there 's a chance for us to exploit something here
1: I mean I think it 's maybe that combined with the way the United States sets up is they have one to sort of screen the near post, but it 's not really close enough to uh, like block out that uh, the in this case Haitian player and then the way they set up with like a few players at the top of the six, it does create this weird space in the middle that if you can put the ball right there or bend it in right there you don't have American players in a position where they can attack it. So then, yes, it comes down to Alyssa Nair, who I think is a little reticent to come off her line.
0: Yeah, she's much better at, I guess, making uh, full stretch saves Mm -hmm. and reflex saves than coming out and claiming any balls that Mm -hmm. uh, are high in the air. All right, as to why that goal was disallowed, we just don't know, do
1: Mm-mm. we? No, I mean, we the way know. the way it's called, the way the AR appears to signal from the brief half second we can see the flag go up, the way the center official calls it, it looks like it's called for offside. Uh, there was some speculation that maybe the player touched it twice. I didn't see that when the corner's taken, especially since the so, AR right? is gesturing like, sure, go ahead and take it. Mm-hmm. I think there would have been a moment of like, no, 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 you've already touched it. Yeah. So I think it really just comes down to... Uh, I don't think it's interference or anything like that, so I think they called offside and maybe just got
0: the rule wrong for a moment. I I mean, I had um, a brief bit of Mm -hmm. uh, theorizing on Twitter about maybe it could be an offside infraction if the player, Mm -hmm. the number 8 who doesn't touch the ball, may have interfered and blocked Naya's path to goal. Mm -hmm. But even if that weird little nuance does exist, which it may not exist... She's still not even in an offside position, no. right? Mm-hmm. And you, there may be a chance that she can't be called offside anyway. There's definitely some sort of officiating mistake. Yep. This is a thing where I wish the next day CONCACAF would at least put out a statement saying, we talked to the refs, here's what, why they say they called this. Mm-hmm. I even read the CONCACAF match report. All they said was Haiti had some chances in the first 45. There yep. was no reference to the fact that Haiti had the ball in the back of the net. And this is why that goal didn't count.
1: Uh, my guess would be that maybe in the past there hasn't been as much attention to women's CONCACAF Olympic qualifying. Yeah. And so maybe they just sort of were like, eh, well, it'll blow over. No one really cares about it. And that I mean, does honestly, be,
0: probably will. In two days, everyone will have forgotten about It kind of already this. has.
1: Yeah. Uh, from everything I saw, a lot of the match reports were either uh, Haiti had a goal disallowed or a goal was disallowed apparently for offside. And it's kind of moved on since then. It doesn't seem to be a lingering talking point about what yeah. happened in the mystery of that corner.
0: Oh, um, there wasn't a mystery about what happened after Megan Rapinoe came on. Mm-mm. Because goals. my my goals the, yeah my theory for the U.S. is next three goals are basically mm-hmm. uh, Megan Rapinoe has the best delivery of any player on the U.S. team, mm-hmm. right? So Megan Rapinoe corner. Lynn Williams' goal, Megan Rapinoe cross for the. I've forgotten who scores the uh, the third goal, and then a Megan Rapinoe uh, clever pass into Juliet's for the cross for Carly Lloyd's goal. Uh,
1: Horan with the I yes, um,
0: yeah. And I
1: think it was very telling that Megan Rapinoe's delivery being on point is what led to a number of goals, but it's yeah. contrasting that with the first half where, when the United States would get service, it was either deeper from stranger angles and didn't seem to be directly for a player. It seemed to be sort of into the area where some US Players might be, or as was often the case, might not be. Um, But it wasn't quite as particular, it wasn't quite as picked out, and it wasn't quite as quick. Like, even for that fourth goal, which is a great little uh, Julie Ertz touch and then cross back in, uh, and Carly Litt is there to shoulder, I think. Uh, But it comes from Megan Rapino, one time ball into Julie Ertz's feet, and even just that like rapidness of play I think throws off Haiti a little bit so I think the Nets States was a little bit slower a little bit less decisive and a little bit less specific in their delivery Megan Rapinoe was uh, better at all three of those it's things it's
0: fascinating to me that with the level of talent the US has there really is no one who can replace what Megan Rapinoe does Right? Mm-hmm. if you have Kristen Press on the left instead of Megan Rapinoe that's a magnificent player but she's she's got different qualities right mm-hmm. it's like running at players it's finishing it's like coming in late to score the first goal like she does she cannot deliver that same ball I'm mm-hmm. not sure any one can. No? So, I mean, I think that's why we will continue to see the importance of Megan Rubino. We certainly will. We certainly will. All right. So, US not top of their group Mm-mm. because uh, Costa Rica beat Panama, uh, what, 6 1, so a five goal margin instead of a four goal margin. The US plays Panama on Friday night. Mm-hmm. We will have. Um, we're assuming a win, fingers crossed. Uh, we'll have a review of that game uh, bundled. It'll be mm-hmm. a buy one, get one free deal when we do our U.S. men's Costa Rica uh, review mm-hmm. on Saturday late afternoon, mm-hmm. early evening. That sounds good to um, me. So there we go. Uh, be- we've got, what, between seven and ten questions? I can't remember. I believe nine. Uh, nine questions. On t- I was right then. <laughs> on today's show. Listen to questions that we're excited to answer. Mm-hmm. But first, we've got a couple of corrections. Mm-hmm. Um, one each from the past few shows. I will happily go first. Okay. Uh, when we were talking about Chicharito uh, coming to the LA Galaxy, mm-hmm. I believe I erroneously said that Chicharito started his career at Club America mm-hmm. in Mexico. I could not have been more wrong. He was at their big rivals, <laughs> Chivas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chicharito started at Chivas. Right. Uh, my apologies for the error. Chicharito started at Chivas. It's easy to remember. It's the same first three letters.
1: There we are, uh, and I will say mine was that I said uh, Alexander Nubel was the goalkeeper at fault for dropping the ball in Schalke's five-no loss to Bayern Munich. That was instead uh, Schubert in goal. Uh, yes. Nubel was suspended, so the, my mistake there.
0: So there was no Bayern Munich conspiracy with Nubel no. moving there in the summer.
1: No, they do tend to like be able to uh, play players that are already moving to them at the yeah, right yeah. time, but, but this is not one of those yeah. cases. Uh, yeah, Shakiri going way back when they played them in the Champions League when he had committed but had not yet moved. That was yeah. kind of odd, but this was not
0: that case. So Nubel had the foresight to get suspended. Yeah, exactly. So, no. To not let that happen. Mm. All right, corrections corrected. Yep. On with the questions. Today's first question comes from Charles mm. Shoaf. Charles Shoaf asks What is the likelihood that younger national team stars such as Christian Pulisic, uh, Tyler Adams, and Weston McKenney get called up to the CONCACAF Olympic qualifiers in Mexico rather than for the international friendlies against the Netherlands and Wales? This mm. is going to happen in March.
1: Yeah. Um, I think pretty unlikely for two reasons. The first would be that the dates don't quite align. Uh, the international break would be from what March 23rd to March 31st. Yep.
0: We looked at the FIFA calendar. That's what it says, yep. March 23rd to March 31st. And then Olympic
1: qualifying is March 20th to April 1st. So even if you had them in there for some of that time, you don't have them in there for like the camp leading up to the games. Yeah. So I don't think that would work as well. And then the second thing is just because you've had various injuries to those three players and other senior players uh, as well, I think we haven't had the reps that Berhalter would have liked. So I think any opportunity he has to potentially get uh, Pulisic, Adams, and McKinney on the field at the same time, yeah. he's going to take.
0: And because World Cup qualifying starts mm-hmm. in September, right. right? You want as many reps as possible with the senior team going into what the CONCACAF uh, yep. Nations League finals in June and World Cup qualifying in September. It's actually important to have those guys, Pulisic, Adams, McKinney, in the squad to play against European opposition in Europe. It'll be the um, like the national team has only played away in Canada. Canada mm-hmm. and Berhalter made a big deal out of that going yeah. to Canada in October.
1: Hostile, hostile <laughs> ground.
0: Hostile ground yeah. yeah. Um, so going to Wales and the Netherlands is actually a big deal for the US men's national team.
1: Now what if the United States qualifies for the Olympics? Do you think we might see any of those players then?
0: I think there's a better argument for trying mm. it but it's still you've got to persuade the clubs to right. um to to be okay with letting them mm. go, right? Because it interferes with the start of the start of preseason.
1: We're going to talk more about Bobby Wood later, but I'm increasingly <laughs> feeling like Bobby Wood to the Olympics is maybe not the worst idea.
0: Oh, for like a career resuscitation, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and just you know
1: to get him maybe back on the radar of some people, see what yeah. he can do, and be a veteran. Player for the Olympic team if not for the senior national team
0: that would make sense yeah. I, would, I would say I heard um, in regards to the March uh, Olympic qualifiers I did read that Greg Bellhelter was on Sirius XMFC and said two senior team players that he mm-hmm. wants to see on the Olympic qualifying roster Jackson Yule and Reggie Cannon mm-hmm. Which does make sense, right? Yep. Because one, they'll be available because they're in Major League Soccer. So it's just easier to get them released. That to go said,
1: and I think he then said in the press conference yesterday, which I think you, you were on, that uh, w- did he talk about that there or was this maybe in the same series? This is previous to this. Uh, I think he talked about it there that, that uh, it's still difficult to get players from Europe uh, to the Olympic roster, but it is as difficult to get players released from their MLS clubs because... Yeah. It's like you know, it's in the it's in the summer when they're already having to get rid of players for different things like Copa America and the Euros. Oh, you're potentially. talking about the actual Olympics. Yeah, no, I'm he's, talking about the yeah. Olympic qualifiers. Okay, see, he was saying gotcha.
0: that uh, Reggie Cannon and Jackson York, mm-hmm. he's hoping will be involved oh. in March in the Olympic qualifiers. Yes,
1: and then he said, and for the start of the season, it's even harder because they're just starting off, so clubs don't want to release their players. Oh, because that so would I, be the startish yeah. of the season. Yeah, yeah, so I think it may be difficult for him to get some of those like senior, more senior players in there. But I think if you can get Reggie Cannon and, and Jackson Yule in the qualifying because they're young enough, yeah, I say go for it. Why it's when, not? It's
0: when you send in Brian McBride on the charm offensive. <laughs> he just walks in and says, did you know there's a bar named after me in yeah. London? in a football team and they're like oh Brian you're so dreamy yep. you can have Reggie Cannon for the qualifiers
1: there you go that's all it takes <laughs> that's all it takes uh, next question comes from George Di Giovanni uh, Di Giovanni excuse me uh, you were just named co commissioners of NWSL congratulations, congratulations. <laughs> yep. uh, what are the first three actions you would take to improve the league uh, I would have said uh, appoint a commissioner but I guess that's already happened yeah. so we've already done one
0: so, the, I mean, yeah, the real answer is what we should do is find someone who knows more about the NWSL yep. than us and get them to take over. Correct. But if we, if we are the ones mm-hmm. uh, tasked with this, and I'm going to do this in kind of a fantasy land where things are easier to do than they have been. Okay, I'm going to say expansion. Mm-hmm. The thing I would really go after is expansion because more teams means more jobs, mm-hmm. right? Uh, more players get to play professional soccer. I would maybe reach out to European teams and be like, hey, Barcelona, you want? Mm-hmm. do you want an NWSL team? Do you want in on the American women's soccer market? We can happily set up like a Barcelona USA for mm-hmm. you. I would let NWSL expand um, and have European teams invest in having women's teams in the NWSL. I-,
1: I found that a lot of my answers were sort of continue to do because I okay. do think that they have started laying that groundwork. So one of them is continue to pursue expansion because They have targeted what 14 teams by 2022. So I think as long as that is like where they're pretty aggressive in a good mm -hmm. way, right? Yeah, Yeah, I mean they're at nine right now, so yeah, they got to add quite a few. Um, And I think targeting areas that make a lot of sense and that would help you secure an even more favorable uh, TV rights deal. Yep. That makes a lot oh, of like sense. Oh, like big as well. media markets you yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or at least places Los where you Angeles. know. You, yeah, that would be yeah. one. Or places where you know you can get like really good stadium experience. So you can get a, like it looks good on TV. People will be yes. interested in it. I think that that would be, definitely be one for me. So yeah, I'm with you on expansion.
0: I've got one that's kind of low hanging fruit, as mm-hmm. in it's very achievable um, NWSL All Star Game mm-hmm. that is US women's national team versus NWSL. All-Stars. Okay. So, like, obviously, the any players that are U.S. Women's National Team players would be on the U.S. Women's National Team wearing that uniform. Mm-hmm. Anybody not selected is then available for the NWSL All-Star Game to okay. play against the Women's National Team.
1: All right, so you're taking away, like, so you're putting them all in one, so it would be an opportunity to get maybe some players we haven't seen or who don't get as much attention onto the MLS All-Star Yeah, spot. so it would be, like,
0: some fringe-ish mm-hmm. Women's National Team players, but also, like, Marta mm-hmm. and the big, big names, right? That's a good All-Star Game, if you ask me.
1: I think the I think the U.S. probably destroys the MLS or NWSL All Stars. Yes, but then
0: everybody still cheers, right? Because everybody who's at the game, they're either an NWSL fan or yeah. they're probably also a U.S. Well, women's National Team fan. So it's a good time for everybody. Right.
1: Yeah, I'm not even saying from a like talent standpoint. I'm just saying simply from a they're a team that have played together a lot. standpoint so oh, yeah, yeah. that Tends to be the one that wins. For why sure. not Why not go NWSL versus like Lyon? Why not get like an NWSL versus Lyon All Stars? Because
0: it would kind of be Lyon every year, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> With some PSG thrown in the
0: Lyon All Star game. All right,
1: so you're gonna you're gonna uh, get the All Star format uh, like. Re- Yeah, and I was really
0: thinking, like, what's the biggest draw for an Mm -hmm. opposition team? Like, you know, for MLS, it's been we play against uh, Real Madrid or Juventus, Mm -hmm. and I really thought the biggest draw is probably the US Women's National Team.
1: All right, I like that. Some
0: of those players are under contract anyway, so get them. All
1: right, boom, done. (laughs) Um, Mine are again a bit more like grounded in reality slash promoting what they're already doing. I mean, because I think the biggest thing that I would go for is securing another sponsor with wide reaching appeal. I think Budweiser was. An incredibly perfect sponsor. I would say Budweiser or Coke, for example, would be a good one to go after. But then my third thing was sort of secure at the same time an innovative sponsor that could promote innovative ideas. So, for example, maybe Tesla or... Apple Mm. to some extent I guess is still innovative but like (laughs) to work on new concepts so say you have a training facility that's all powered by solar panels or something like that I think anything you can do that promotes NWSL as a forward thinking Mm. organization that still has broad appeal so if you have Tesla and Budweiser as your two sponsors
0: so you want like a brand whose identity matches with what you want the identity of the NWSL to be
1: exactly but more so than just like lifetime (laughs) like I think (laughs) I think that that moves in a certain direction and I would rather see it sort of like, no, we've got all these big sponsors. We're the biggest league. We're the Premier League. And that's what yeah. you should be focused on.
0: And I'm sure NWSL, I'm sure they are trying to mm-hmm. get sponsors. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, like in our imaginary world, it's much easier for us to go out and sign Tesla, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I mean, and I think this is still a league where like they're still trying to figure out the broadcast rights for the season. So mm-hmm. like there's still so many questions to be answered that I think it's harder for them to look big picture when they're still trying to figure out how to watch their games on a small picture.
0: The other thing I think we could do is mimic um, what MLS has done a little mm-hmm. bit with MLS soccer. Dot com. Basically, start producing some high quality in-house media mm-hmm. right so a lot, of, a lot more content on the website podcasts like mm-hmm. a match of the day style yep. uh, highlight show that you can put together yourself and, and send out yep. just basically do more in-house media work it's not cheap it's a thing that I would invest in mm-hmm. maybe we'll get Tesla to sponsor it there we go see alright
1: <laughs> I think that's innovative why not <laughs> we're innovating by doing what MLS did
0: yeah, I mean yeah but it's worked right <laughs> like the, the stuff where you've got like Matt Doyle analyzing MLS games mm-hmm. that genuinely has worked I think NWSL could go for a similar similar sort of thing yeah oh, Right. We need to find the Andrew Wiebe of NWSL. I, I feel like we could find somebody. Yeah. I'm sure there's somebody in there. Yeah. Is Kate Margraf working? Can we get her another She's job? She's very busy. <laughs> She's very, very busy. Should we
1: do one more question?
0: One more question. All
1: right. And then, and then some other stuff and then more questions. Is, uh, it, Tanner is, the, Hildman. Others, is the other
0: stuff advertising? Correct.
1: Uh, Tanner Hildman, uh, who is your favorite uh, current non-American player? Can you guess mine? Uh, I'm going to guess it's Raul Jimenez. Jimenez.
0: It's a Traore. Okay. Adama that makes sense too. I, it's been a long time since, in fact, it's never happened where I've had a player that I support for mm-hmm. my team, Wolves, and they, they're playing against the best teams in England, and people are scared of a Wolves player. Mm-hmm. Like, like fullbacks are genuinely like, oh no, I've got to face a Traore. I'm in trouble. And it's thrilling to watch him go at people. It's also, I'm also excited because. I've been sort of on the Traore hype train even when people were criticizing the train for its delivery. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, And even going way back to when he was at Barcelona B, Mm -hmm. I saw some Traore highlights and put him in the scouting network. This is way way before he was even in England, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a player I've been familiar with for a little bit of time and now he's playing for my team and he's going up against even the likes of Liverpool um, in the Premier League and Andy Robertson looks at least a little bit worried.
1: So what is it that makes him like your favorite player to watch though?
0: It's that thing of like when he gets the ball, Mm -hmm. I am not going to look away from my television screen yeah. right? I'm going to be like what happens next because what happens next is usually he will um, run at players and often get in behind and deliver a cross
1: does he still and I don't actually mean this as a criticism yeah. it kind of I think helps your argument a little bit does he still have the moments because every now and then I think he used to it I haven't seen him as much as you have obviously he would have the moments where like that cross went straight out of bounds like what, why did you do that or like you no. just have little moments
0: it, so not with crossing okay. too much. I, think, I think he might even have some of the best crossing mm-hmm. success percentage rates in In the Premier League. Mm -hmm. But the thing that he does do sometimes still, which is a little infuriating, is uh, shoot when maybe shooting wasn't the best idea. But I feel
1: like you have to have all I was trying to get at is like you have to have those moments of like, what? Like you shot there? What? That was your cross? Because it then furthers the like, you kind of don't know. Like maybe it's going to be like 90% of the time it's going to be an amazing moment and you don't want to look away. But 10% of the time it might be an infuriating shot that also makes you not want to look away.
0: But that's yeah, that is basically it. But Mm -hmm. there's enough of a success rate that it's happy things. Are happening for Wolves. Oh, that must, um, be, nice. That must time, be nice. Every time. Every time he has the
1: I ball. genuinely struggle to answer this question. I really did. It doesn't have to be a Man United player. I mean, but that's the thing is like, that's the team that I watch the most, but yeah. I really don't enjoy watching them. My answer remains Paul Pogba. That I think Paul Pogba, when he is in his form, in his moment, yeah. is a player that is unlike any other player on the planet because he is so good technically, but has that massive size that he can just body somebody. He can ride six challenges at once and still keep the ball because he yeah. has the control. Good touch for a big strain. man. I mean, good touch for anybody, <laughs> is what I would say. Like, really, he has that control. He has that ball-playing ability. He can score a goal or two. So I think he is a really electrifying player. It's just been a very long time since we saw him do it for Manchester United.
0: What's your favorite Paul Pogba moment? Not not a specific moment, but more like a thing that he continually does. Um, I can't, like... The, like
1: The specifics are hard to describe, but it is just that moment where it's like, okay, they've got him. Like he, Every now and then he has that moment where like, okay, he's got two defenders on him. There's no way he's getting out of this. And either he will beat them with a move, which I think the defenders didn't see coming. Yeah. Or he will just sort of ha- let them both try to tackle him at once and he will just keep them at arm's length and find a way through. And that ability to just play himself individually out of a stressful situation is not something that I think, as a Man United fan, a lot of those players have, but also a lot of players, just generally speaking, are able to do, especially with that strength. So I think those are the moments that I really enjoy. Some of the the passing and the through balls are excellent, but my other answer... I love mm -hmm. a poor
0: Pogba... medium to Mm -hmm. long ball on the counter-attack that plays a fast player into space. You know what I mean? I do. If he hits Marcus Rashford from deep Mm -hmm. and it's in behind the defense, I'm always like, "Well, Yeah,
1: exactly. It's it's been a while. And so because of that, because of injury, because of everything else, the player that I have found myself watching more and more lately and enjoying more and more, and it sort of pains me to say, is Luis Suarez. I find him fascinating to
0: watch. I've got some bad news for you about the rest of the season. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) So it's going to make it kind of hard. But just... Like I, th- I think I've said this many times, and I probably it tends to be the player that I realize I talk about a lot more than I realize I'm doing. But yeah, lately yeah. I've talked a lot about Suarez because as he has gotten older, he has, I think, changed his game a little bit. He doesn't have quite the pace he used to have. But just the way he still does all the things that are very Suarez, of annoying, annoying opponents and bumping into them when he doesn't need to and standing offside just to see if the defense will collapse upon him. Yeah. But then with that, he's leading more. He's trying more. The goal he had with the outside of his foot for Barcelona a couple of weeks ago was... Ridiculous, and so he just oh, still has these moments. Sure but then he is has that similar
0: to what Carly Lloyd tried. Yes, um,
1: yes, it is. It is exactly and it like just that. Came off
0: horribly. Yeah. but Suarez pulled Maybe out. she also yeah.
1: enjoys watching Luis Suarez. <laughs> Maybe she does. She just yeah. didn't practice what he does. Uh-huh. But I think he's a player who. As he's gotten older, as I said, has just adjusted a little bit, and mm-hmm. as a player who is getting older myself, to sort of see how a player—I know—but to see how he changes and still maintains his ability at that top level yep. is fascinating for me, and, and thus I have found him more enjoyable to watch than I think I ever yep. have.
0: All right, you picked a non-Man United Uruguayan. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick a non-Wolves Uruguayan. All right. I'm still a fan of Lucas Torreira. That's fair. I love yeah. his. Just his his close down, mm-hmm. his willingness to, like, throw himself in front of things, his willingness to just chase people down and stick a foot in. He's still not amazing with the ball or anything. Like, he's not bad, but it's, it's not, there's not anything special happening with the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just really love watching him go and destroy things in I think, the field. And I've enjoyed it more since Mikel Arteta took over yeah. and kind of started with that Torreira-Shaka like,
1: like, double u- pivot. uses open. him in a way that makes sense and yeah, works for him. basically. Yeah, right, yeah, as soon as he's right? used in a way that makes sense,
0: <laughs> it's the Torreira that I know and love. I think,
1: yeah. like... I've played a lot of soccer with Daryl. This is for the listeners. And... I do think that like one of if, if you were drafting a team, first of all, Daryl doesn't want to be the person who has to pick teams. I can say that. Nor do I. Nor do I. Want, I hate the captains thing where it's like I'll pick that one. I'll pick Just that one. Just hand
0: someone else the, uh, the bag. I, of, that uh, is pennies. my
1: go-to move immediately. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think Daryl also wants a player on a scene that he doesn't have to tell to Mark. The thing that I hear you communicated the most is
0: like, guys, we got to Mark. Everybody's got to yeah. step.
1: Everybody's got to find a Mark. You're never going to have to tell Torero that. So yeah. I think right there is why I'm not surprised yeah, that he's he, in your he's he, in your selection.
0: If he played five aside in the gym with us yeah. like we did last. No, he'd he would not furry. be the one hanging back, standing in front of the goal. Right? He would be up there, getting in someone's face.
1: If you so, should we say that if we're building a five-a-side team, he'd also be
0: breaking his Arsenal contract. Also, I'm that. pretty
1: sure. If we're building a five-a-side team though, and they're playing in their peak, can we put Torreira and Pogba on that team and just assume that that team's going to win?
0: Oh yeah, we'd be like, hey, Lucas, you you win it, <laughs> yeah. then you give it to that guy.
1: Yeah, and, <laughs> and he does things, and then he finds Luis Forrest to yep. score. There away we, go. we go. go. Perfect. Away we go. A double <laughs> and they too. Why not?
0: All right, before we answer more listener questions, Mm -hmm. today's show is sponsored by Roman. Mm -hmm. Taylor, if you were to guess, on average, how many days in the US people have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? 28 days. You would be... Almost right, oh, but not actually right. It's
1: almost like I knew and changed it on purpose. <laughs>
0: on average, people have to wait around yeah. 29 days. let see the around. There we go. 28, 29. Why not? <laughs> in major US cities, mm-hmm. it's basically a month. Yes. Um, if you're dealing with a condition <laughs> like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment as soon as possible. I'm sure especially what they want if, to... if you need treatment in the
1: moment. <laughs> there we go. As opposed to 28 or 29 days yeah. later, roughly a month later. You, you don't cannot say long. to your
0: partner... Give me 29 days. Hold that thought for 29 days.
1: You could. But it's going to be kind of weird because that's a strangely specific number. It is. If you said give me about a month. That probably doesn't even go. That uh, goes over less well. <laughs> um, but that's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed uh, in your state or Commonwealth, if you're in one of those four, uh, all from the comfort of your home.
0: Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just mm. grab your phone or computer and complete a free online visit and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 20 20- Twenty-four hours.
1: I clarified the state part because I genuinely didn't know if they meant like your state isn't where you reside or your state is in your state of erectile dysfunction. <laughs> now I understand more. Right. So you've got the free online visit. They'll get back to you in 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Rowan's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two day shipping. Free is important and in all caps. And I appreciate that as well. <laughs>
0: You also get free unlimited (laughs) follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to Mm -hmm. adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel any time.
1: So if you're struggling with erectile dysfunction, go to GetRoman.com slash TSS for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. One more time, that's GetRoman.com slash TSS for a free online visit and free two-day shipping.
0: The link to uh, GetRoman.com slash TSS will be in the show notes.
1: Thank you very much to Roman for uh, sponsoring today's episode and becoming a sponsor of Total Soccer Show. It's Hello. always very appreciated.
0: Hello, Roman. Hello. Um, all right. So we answered Tana's mm-hmm. question. Let's get to Kaz Tidrick's sure. question. Kaz wants to know, you, you kind of mentioned this earlier, mm-hmm. which MLS team would Bobby Wood best fit mm-hmm. on?
1: Um, I had a lot of difficulty with this question for two reasons. I'm eager to hear your answer. So I have instead cheated and just uh, noted that Stephen Goff – or excuse me, earlier this morning uh, it was reported that Bobby Wood is linked to the move to FC Cincinnati. Yep. So I spent some time looking at how that might work. But I think I struggled be, that, yeah. because we have new coaches and it's been a while. We're not even in preseason yet or mm-hmm. just starting preseason. So I have a hard time thinking about, like, well, like, are Houston going to play the same way? Probably not. They have a new coach. So I don't know what they need. And simultaneously, it's been a really long time since I've seen Bobby Wood – So I have flashes of Bobby Wood, but I don't know if that's still his style. So that's why I found this kind of difficult. And
0: a lot of teams kind of already have Mm -hmm. their striker in place, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why FC Cincinnati actually makes sense, right? Because they just just got rid of, essentially, Fernando Mm -hmm. Adi. Um, They did sign, what, Yuya Kubo, Mm -hmm. um, designated player, but he's not really an all-out goalscorer centre-forward, right? He's more of a second striker, attacking midfielder, winger, creative player. I took a look at some clips of him. Mm-hmm. He actually looks a really yep. exciting player. I think he would go well with Bobby Wood. Bobby Wood, to me, my memory of him is he's still a very good sort of uh, receive the ball and running behind mm-hmm. striker, yeah. essentially. That's how I think of him. Mm-hmm. Still only 27, so still plenty left in the tank. I think for FC Cincinnati, he'd do really well.
1: Yeah, I I think it's also confusing to me because we haven't seen Bobby Wood play for a team where he gets a ton of service and has a lot of chances and is on a front foot forward team. So it might be different if he were playing for one of those teams, but we would expect Cincinnati to be sort of, I mean, better than they were last season, but not at the top of the Eastern Conference standings or anything like that. So I do think this fits more with historically the style we've seen Bobby Wood play. So again, in that sense, uh, that move to Cincinnati makes sense but... When he was first linked with MLS, I think like 10 or 11 months ago, I read some of the articles then with some of the comments, and a lot of them, to your earlier point, were like, he'd be a great fit at sporting KC. We desperately need a goal scorer. Well, Alan Polito has come in. So, like, some of those have been yeah. solved. So that's where what about, I do think uh, uh, Cincinnati is a very solid shout. I
0: may be behind on the news here, mm-hmm. but have New York Red Bulls replaced Bradley Wright Phillips? Not With that a I center know forward, of. right? Not they had Jorgensen of. that they took, mm-hmm. but they didn't really play him much last year, the young striker. Mm-hmm. I mean, just as a big name center forward, like, Bobby yep. Wood could be a decent replacement at yep. uh, uh, Red Bull Arena.
1: I want to get to the big named in a moment but uh, while we're throwing out teams, so I think that's a solid shout. And then the other one, I don't know if this is just homerism or what have you, but the consistent refrain about DC United is, yeah, they've brought in some people, but I, there are still questions about where are to goals com- going goals to come from right now? They have Ola bet, Kamara. Kamara yeah. yeah, but I think they're still sort of because he... He's not perceived as Wayne Rooney, Lucho Costa level. He's sort of I like, should... yeah, he was really good, but then he left and now he's back and we're not really sure. And so I think like, maybe Bobby Wood fits there as well in terms of a DC team that are probably going to play on the counter as
0: well. I, I feel like there's only room for one bigish name mm. striker at a team like DC. And I think whether you like it or not, it's Ola Kamara. You know what I mean?
1: All right. All right. Well, here's my question. So we keep talking about Bobby Wood as a big-ish or big-name striker. Yeah. Do you think, like, I think a year or two ago, he is definitely a DP-level player?
0: pre-October 2017. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Is he still a DP for you, or do you feel like he could be got for for Tam?
0: I deliberately read as many Bobby Wood to Cincinnati stories as I could, looking for a mention Mm -hmm. of he'll be a designated player. Not one of them mentioned Mm -mm. it, and that leads me to just by a process of elimination to kind of assume that he's going to be on a decent TAM contract.
1: Yes, that that would make the most sense. I think anybody who... He's he's
0: not that big name marketability because October 2017, there wasn't then like a World Cup where Bobby Wood's like, World Cup striker, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? There just isn't that level of marketability. And you, you frequently have
1: to remind me that when I'm like, I don't really know that much about like our current roster pool. And then I go through a lot of the names. Contrast that with say my dad or some people we know who like follow the national team when they're in World Cups. Like Bobby Wood, to your point if they had gone to the 2018 World Cup and if he had started yeah. that as a player that everybody Jersey knows strike partner. but right now Bobby Wood is a well he used to play for the national team and he was in the Bundesliga and he's been there his whole career but like it's kind of well you know like it, it ends up being that and I think that does not really yeah. work in terms of paying him the amount of money that maybe was rumored uh, a year ago
0: yeah I mean there's very few people are going to be like yeah I'll buy tickets <laughs> yeah. just to see Bobby Wood right, right? he's just not that player i pretty sure Bobby Wood and his family would I'll say that much yeah, well, hopefully, we know Bobby, Bobby Wood, hopefully Bobby Wood doesn't have to buy tickets to watch himself play
1: you never know <laughs> it's, it's you make your money back, baby. That's what you make your money back. I did see reports that, uh, which is his current club? Is, it, is he still at Hamburg? I always forget because he's been, he's been loaned out and moved around. Uh, but wherever he may be, uh, I heard a report today that, that I think he was loaned to Hanover and is back at Hamburg. I think okay. that's how that worked. But then there was reports today like, oh, we don't want to bring in anybody else. Like, or we've, we've already brought in some replacements, but we don't want to let anybody go. And at first I read that and was like, oh, I guess they're going to hang on to him until, until the summer. And then I realized, like, oh, no, that is just straight up club speak for... Uh, we will sell him, but we're not going to depart with him cheaply as opposed to, yeah, anybody can have him. Just come and get him. That's a little (laughs) bit different. I think so. It speaks to they want to make a little bit of money off of him but are willing to sell.
0: My hand brain Mm -hmm. confirms
1: that he's still with Hamburg. There we go. (laughs) The Hamburg Hanover throws me a little bit.
0: (laughs) Next question comes from Domingo Lopez. Mm -hmm. Um, Domingo Lopez asks, how subjective are FIFA's world rankings? So Mm -hmm. subjective is... Subjective, Uh I always get confused between objective and subjective. Uh Subjective is like someone's opinion, objective is based in something Mm -hmm. factual.
1: I'm glad you clarified Observable. that, just to be certain. Okay. I would say not very subjective at all, is is my feeling. Yes. I think it's easy to assume they are because we all sort of dismiss them and because they have a corporate sponsor in front of them. <laughs> it feels like, okay, so it's like, man, the best teams are near the top, and that's kind of the way it always is, but the best teams are near the top because they're the best teams, and if they were at the bottom, it wouldn't make much sense in terms yep. of being a list of... Best to worst.
0: And I would argue they are objective Mm -hmm. because they're based on a mathematical formula. Right. right? At no point is it someone saying, yeah, but I think France are better. So let's bump them a couple. It's literally you play games and then you earn points in the FIFA World right. Rankings based on a formula. We did mm. a show where we went through the formula. I think we were talking about Canada's world ranking with their attempt to uh to make the hex. Uh, Do you remember this? Yeah. Maybe 3 months ago? Probably around And then well.
1: it was it Poland who like like game the system to be one of the 8 seeds it for it the, the Euros? Or Switzerland? I, I think they say- both did it to various degrees. Okay, essentially they like didn't that.
0: play friendlies right. because friendlies are worth mm-hmm. less. Here's a very quick version yeah. of the math, right? So your points total is you gain points um, based on one, the mm-hmm. importance of the match. Um, like, is it uh, a World Cup qualifier? Is like a high, like a high multiple. Oh, a yeah. friendly is a low multiple. I forgot. Right? I forgot we went. And then real, you, get, real deep on this. you get points for a win, and you get more points if you beat someone um, uh, higher than you in the rankings, right. and slightly fewer points if you beat someone lower than you in the rankings. So there's a points. It's multiplied by how important the game is, and that's it, mm-hmm. right? There's no, there is no element of someone going. Yeah, but Paul Pug was looking good. Let, let's bump them up a bit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So to me, that's very objective as opposed to subjective.
1: Yeah, I'm going to avoid those two terms just because it's easy to swap them in your head as you're talking about them on the fly.
0: I said them very slowly yeah. and I think 100% correctly so far
1: but I don't have the same level of faith in myself to do so. <laughs> so I'll just say, I, again, I understand where this question is coming from for reasons I already said, but because it does seem to favor European teams or, like, it's easier for the bigger teams to get those, like, higher higher rankings. Is it? I think so. I mean, that's where you tend to have your larger teams, uh, but I think it's because they tend to play other strong opposition, and so even if you lose one of those games and thus lose a significant number of points, you then play another team, okay. you then make so- those same points back. Basically. You're
0: essentially arguing that the, the even though it's objective, mm-hmm. the system is set up in a way that's, that's a little bit
1: subjective. It feels
0: subjective. It feels even like it favors European yes, teams. Yes, exactly. Fair enough. Or just okay. bigger
1: teams because Argentina, Colombia, uh, Brazil tend to be in those conversations as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm happy with our answer. Me too. Let's move on before we get ourselves in any, Let's do it. In any inaccuracies.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Todd Holloway. Uh, my family and I will be going to London. I feel like this is a question for Daryl, but I'm going okay. to jump all over it. Yes,
0: I've researched this question. Yep. I have the answer.
1: Okay. Uh, they're going to London, Edinburgh, and Dublin for two weeks, starting on June 1st in the summer. What are the best soccer things to do in each of these cities during this
0: time of the year? So there's bad news yeah. and a little <laughs> bit of good news. The bad news is when you're in Edinburgh mm-hmm. and London... Obviously, the English and Scottish league seasons, done with, Yep. right? It's not happening. There's no games to go and see. There's not even pre-season friendlies because mm-hmm. it's, too, it's too early in the summer for pre-season friendlies. What you might have, if you stick around long enough, Euro 2020 is coming. Mm-hmm. And there are Euro 2020 games at Wembley, right? England will play some games at Wembley in London. And there are Euro 2020 games um, at Hampden Park in Glasgow, which is not Edinburgh, but it's very close, Mm -hmm. right? You can get to to Glasgow from Edinburgh really easily. But that's like starting June 12th, so it Mm -hmm. might be towards the end of your vacation. It is. Your best bet is uh, the Euro 2020 warm-up games, Mm -hmm. right? If you want to go and see some football, there's a chance that, what, like early June, England or somebody else who's having games around London or in Scotland may play a Euro 2020 warm-up game. So mm-hmm. you may see some international friendlies. Obviously, they're not scheduled yet, but that's, that's a possibility, mm-hmm. right? Okay, over to Dublin, across the Irish Sea, to Dublin. The Irish League season is still going on. They, okay. they play through the summer. And if you are in Dublin, you could go and see some Premier Division games. You've got Bohemians and Shelbourne, uh, both um, on the north side of Dublin. And if you're willing to go west of the city, you've got Shamrock. Uh, sorry, St. Patrick's Athletic. And if you go southwest of the city, you've got Shamrock Rovers. It is not the highest standard of soccer you're ever going to see. It is not the highest standard, but it's, mm-hmm. it is it uh, is professional football in Ireland. If that's what you're looking for, it'll be a unique and interesting experience. It will I'll indeed. promise you that.
1: I, I feel like you're doing a very good job of selling the League of Ireland right now. I mean,
0: now. it's the only yeah. league season that will be in-season mm-hmm. while um, – uh, sorry, I've forgotten the person's name. Todd. Sorry, I scored past Todd's name. While Todd and his family are um, – In that area.
1: And forgive me if you just said this, but I was confused by my phone making noise even though it's on silent. Not sure how that worked. I assume it's because my microphone is listening to me at all times. Um, Which of the Irish teams would you most advise them to see if they were? really going to go see a game? Like, not like I don't need you to know the schedule. I just mean, like...
0: Honestly, I would go to
1: the second division
0: and see UCD. Okay. Because that's where I went to college. Okay. And they have a team, and they're in the second tier of Ireland. Um, but if you're in so Dublin... if they
1: didn't go to university in Dublin?
0: Um, I'd go and see either Bohemians uh-huh. or Shelburne because they're closest to the city gotcha. centre. The other two, you're going to have to travel outside of the city to the mm-hmm. suburbs. Um, okay a little bit and there's also uh, uh, what's it called the Aviva Stadium Mm -hmm. uh, the stadium in Dublin that's also hosting some Euro 2020 games so you may also be able to see some international football and some warm-up games in and around Dublin there Mm -hmm. so it's going to be weirdly. It's going to be easy to choose because there won't be that many options. Now, <laughs> that's the good news.
1: Yeah, one thing that I feel like would be an easy suggestion, but I feel like we both are kind of on the same page about this one is to do stadium tours because there's lots of different teams in all those different areas. But and you just see
0: the stadium and no this, soccer.
1: This is the thing, right? And and I think if you, it's sort of like brewery tours. Like if you've seen one brewery, you've seen yeah. a lot of breweries. And if
0: you go to a brewery tour, you mm-hmm. at least get to taste the beer. This is true, right? I so I say this from experience. If you buy it. <laughs> I've yeah. gone to uh, Barcelona. Uh in the summer Mm -hmm. with my family and done a tour of the camp now and sort of enjoyed it, but then looked out at the empty stadium and been like, why can't I watch the team play here? It's a weirdly, to me at least, frustrating experience.
1: I think think if you have a, a rooting interest in the club or say you're going there with your kids and they really like the team, even then it's going to be kind of a bummer to not get to then see a game. But at the very least, if you really care about Chelsea or Crystal Palace or yeah. Fulham or whatever to go to their stadium and see their stadium and see the trophies and kind of see how it all works. Yeah. At least you have it's that sort of connection. But I think I would advise it only if you actually care about the club. But going to Wembley, like, just to see Wembley, it's oh, probably no. not going to do anything no, for you. Uh, no,
0: you're better off going to, like, the Emirates yeah. or the new Tottenham mm-hmm. Stadium and doing, doing a tour of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Alright, so Todd, happy happy vacationing.
1: <laughs> happy vacationing, indeed. What will the vibe be like in the lead-up to a major international tournament. Like do you think will there be a buzz in London? Will people be like sort of talking about it and excited about Definitely, it if you go in yeah, the pubs?
0: Because all the the, the Premier League mm-hmm. will be over, Champions League will be over, right. all the focus will be on England at this tournament. Mm-hmm. Right. And England are qualified, England are hosting their own group games. Um if Scotland qualify, they will play at Hampden Park in Glasgow. If Ireland qualify, they will play at Aviva Stadium in Dublin. So there will be a weird, like, Euro 2020 is crazy, right? Mm-hmm. It's hosted all over the place. But those countries, if they qualify, get to yeah. play in their home stadium in the group stage. It's almost like hosting the tournament. So there will be a bit of a home nation buzz about it.
1: I hope there is because that is, I, uh, like, I ask for Todd's benefit because that is one of the biggest things I miss about living abroad in a city where you would get – Champions League nights or Europa League nights or just you had that like Galatasaray so Fenerbahce you. you knew was that night you kind of felt it in the whole city yeah. of, like everybody knew there was that vibe of like nobody really wants to be out anymore that game is in four hours everybody wants to get to where they're going to watch it mm-hmm. and when an entire city is focused on that one event it sort of makes it incredible to be there so I do hope that they get some of that experience while they're yeah. there hopefully, like, they hopefully
0: towards the end of the two weeks yeah. will be the start of the tournament mm-hmm. so you'll be in one of those cities the best. hopefully the home nation mm-hmm. is, is playing it's the best um, all right next Question Mm -hmm. comes from Matt Koss. Matt Koss asks, if the best possible team were formed by drafting without budget from the EFL Championship, that's the second tier of English football, how well could they do in the English Premier League? And bonus question, which championship coach would you pick to coach? All right, so Taylor and I agreed. We're not going to do a full draft and Mm. pick an eleven because that would be a whole show, mm-hmm. right? But we did have a good look and a think about the type of players that are in the championship um, and who we like mm-hmm. and wh- how good this team would be. What was your feeling, Taylor, after taking a look?
1: I feel like they would be way better than I thought heading into this. <laughs> okay. Um, but like, I think maybe partially that's informed by how erratic some of the teams in the Premier League have been this season, that like aside from Liverpool and Man City, it does feel like anybody could finish maybe top four and anybody could be top eight. And I think look at like, what Sheffield United have done and I think if you're bringing the best players who all fit a specific style and system, coached by a coach who is playing their style and system I think that team does really 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 well in the Premier League.
0: I would agree the way I would phrase it is there is definitely the talent Mm -hmm. in the championship to form a team of equal talent to like a mid-table to top seven Mm -hmm. Premier League team Um, the only stumbling block would be that the teams that have done really well after coming up from the championship are say like Wolves and Sheffield United and it's because they had a system yeah. and a coach and everybody was bought in and it was really like the commitment to the system that has made them do well as opposed to the level of talent mm-hmm. they had, right? Yeah. But the talent is there. If the coaching was there and the team had a style, definitely they absolutely could compete. Yeah. Do you have any names that stood out to you when you were looking looking through the championship? I mean
1: there's there's nobody like I didn't go super deep to be totally candid here, okay. but I looked at things like top score is Alexander Mitrovic right yes. now we know that he is a proven player who can do it in the Premier League. Absolutely. Just maybe not for a wildly erratic Fulham team. Mm-hmm.
0: Like, and even for a terrible, for, I wouldn't yeah. even say erratic, because erratic implies that maybe they were good sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for a terrible good Fulham call. team, good call. he still scored a decent mm-hmm. amount of goals and looked right. really threatening.
1: Yeah, And I think could make, I mean, okay, again, to go back to Manchester United for a moment, we had this conversation off-air about Wayne Rooney and like, could Wayne Rooney still do it in the Premier League and you sort of correctly but painfully were like, I think he could do it for Man United right now. Yep. Like, you could make an argument. You do better that, than
0: Jesse Lingard. This like season.
1: Mitrovic would probably come in there and like do a decent job as a substitute for Manchester United right now. Yeah. I know that feels ridiculous, but it's kind of true given mm-hmm. the kind of scoring issues they have and some of the lack of attack.
0: Um, another name that stood out to me. I looked through and then watched some highlights. Mm-hmm. Um, Eberechi Eze. Do you know this guy? Mm-mm. He's only 21. He's English. Plays for QPR, mm-hmm. and he's sort of this tall playmaker type guy with all kinds of moves and skills and perfect delivery, like loads of beautiful crosses. So Eberetti Eze 21 at QPR, absolutely could play in the Premier League tomorrow.
1: So what what system do you think though we're going to need if we're going to bring all these championship players together because my inclination is something akin to what Wolves have done which is like defensively solid game plan yeah. with a good counterattack in place.
0: Well I looked at it from the perspective of uh, Matt asking which coach would you pick yeah. and there's an obvious candidate for best right? coach in the championship, he's top of the table right now he's the most famous coach in the championship it's Marcelo Bielsa, right? right? You would mm-hmm. absolutely pick Bielsa to coach his team I had him and-
1: one and his uh, cooler two, that was my second <laughs> choice.
0: He's got a on of course, right? yeah. So, and then just give him the summer to mm-hmm. coach this team and I think this team could do it in the Premier League
1: so I think what we're going to add is they could do very well weirdly the asterisk we're, uh, we're asking for here is provided they get a full preseason basically yeah. <laughs> he gets to pick the team and then they all report day one of preseason with no distractions yep. yeah I think they'd be fine
0: um, and one final thing I would say in support of this is um, outside of um, a couple of names, like Ben White, mm-hmm. yeah, who plays for Leeds, uh, but he's on loan from Brighton. Southgate has apparently been looking at him as a possible England player. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Calvin Phillips, who also plays for Leeds, like he's a, almost a Connor Cody type guy who can ping passes from mm-hmm. the back. Like outside of those couple of Leeds guys that I've seen, I don't know much about centre-backs in the championship because I don't watch enough. Yeah. But I'll guarantee... There are plenty of centre-backs in the championship who could do really well in the Premier League. We just don't know their names yet.
1: I, I think if I gave Daryl four hours and access to our Scout account and said, I need you to find me three centre-backs who fit this style, you could find them. Like, I do think, and that's both a credit to you being very uh, good. to White Scout, But yeah, but I think <laughs> it's also like, if you could definitely find the talent and the players to fit yep. your system if you're looking at every team in the championship. So
0: what I actually sure. did is instead of going and finding the names of those, centre-backs mm-hmm. um, I found six players who played centre-back in the championship and then came up with Wolves and Sheffield United and succeeded mm-hmm. right so literally the back three for Wolves in the championship was Bennett Cody Bowley Wolves got promoted stuck with those same three defenders and have done just fine mm-hmm. Sheffield United had a back three in the championship of Basham Egan O'Connell Promoted in the Premier League, have done just fine. Mm-hmm. So that's my evidence for there being plenty of guys in the Championship who are really good centre backs. We just can't name them, but they're out there.
1: Yeah, and then if we're getting we them, out there. And then if we're comparing them to, say, a proven Premier League centre back who, like everybody knows, like let's just throw out David Luiz as an example. Like okay. I think maybe there's some centre backs who could do a David Luiz job. Tim Ream is like he's David Luiz. For example,
0: certainly better value for money. <laughs> yes, uh, right.
1: Yes, there is, my friend, because.
0: <laughs> Even like Alfie
1: Mawson is, I think, still playing uh, for Fulham. Yeah, he's
0: at England callers. Right, exactly. Yeah, like there, There's yeah. still
1: plenty of uh, talent to be had there for Dwayne sure. Dwayne
0: Holmes! Get Dwayne I mean, Holmes out there. How
1: do we not mention him? I mean, Dwayne Octavius Holmes, get on that Premier League plane.
0: Absolutely. Um, <laughs> okay, we also have a question from Michael Hastings mm-hmm. Black. Michael Hastings Black wants to know, with a player coach, how is match day different?
1: Mm-hmm. So I, I think... Well, I don't think it's that different, first of all. But I think the r- main reason is because usually it's a player coach, not a player manager. And th- yeah. that is a big difference. I don't know if, if I'm just being semantics here, but to me, that makes a massive difference.
0: For some reason, I assumed mm-hmm. that Michael was asking about Wayne Rooney. Yeah, I think so too. Because Wayne Rooney's gone to Derby County as a player coach.
1: Right. Right. So but, let's
0: talk about player coach first. Maybe we'll talk about player manager later just to cover our
1: bases. Yeah, well, let's just, can we explain the difference, though, at least? Yeah. Just because I think, like, like, if you're new to soccer, if you're new to the kind of terminology, a manager is that person who's, like, managing the the entire yeah. game, but they tend to he's have, head coach. yeah. Then they have like a first team coach and a goalkeeping coach and whatever else, fitness coach. Yeah. So Wayne, Wayne Rooney is an assistant coach exactly. at Derby County. Right. Philip
0: Koku is the head coach,
1: right? Which means that Wayne Rooney is probably like allowed to run some training sessions or have influence on training sessions. Yeah. Put the cones out, but he, exactly. But he is not <laughs> structuring everything, and he's not the one calling for substitutions. As it maybe he gets talked to about, like, hey, what are you seeing on the field? Who do yeah. you think needs to go? I'm
0: sure he has some sit down coffee yeah. in an office mm-hmm. with Philip Koku, and they talk about things.
1: Or even like you and I do with our amateur team it's good to compare what you and i do with our amateur team to professionals but like like at halftime we'll kind of have that quick conversation about what do you see what do i see okay what are the points we need to really stress and you speak with a dutch accent i have a scouse accent i mean obviously always it's what we do (laughs) sometimes we trade off your scouse is better than mine um but i wouldn't even be surprised if maybe that's a thing that wayne rooney is doing where they're like talking before halftime and then they go in and the head coach delivers the remarks but i don't think aside from that like there's much difference i think wayne rooney is playing and then also coaching on some yeah. days. Yeah,
0: and I will bet that Wayne Rooney on the field mm-hmm. has a certain level of authority yes. where he can ask players, he can ask his teammates on the field to do certain things. He will give advice to someone like Dwayne Holmes. He will give advice and Dwayne Holmes mm-hmm. will listen. But I'd argue that that's more a function of him being Wayne Rooney than him being uh, uh, having the job of player coach, mm-hmm. right? Because we saw him at DC United where he didn't have any official title of like assistant coach or anything. He was just like star player he was coaching players on the field, right? He was telling them to do things, giving out certain instructions. It's more just a a thing of seniority and authority that he has anyway, no matter what his job title is.
1: And and with the idea that Wayne Rooney could still probably play at a higher level if he wanted to, or at least
0: contribute, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: I do like the idea that Darby came to him while he was still under contract with DC United and said like, okay, we want to give you this role in which you're a veteran player, you're allowed to organize a little bit, you have more say than a lot of other players, and you play uh, for us Darby. And he's like, yeah, I, I do that already for DC United <laughs> and they're like we'll actually call you player coach and he's like done okay if I get the official title then I'm in
0: I bet he's I'll yeah, bet he is really doing some coaching and I bet they're helping him get yeah. his badges and all that, all that yeah but stuff. I
1: think to your point what he is doing with Derby is probably not wildly dissimilar from what yeah. he was already doing at DC United and probably to Manchester United to some extent
0: so do you think when Rooney I'm sure he speaks at halftime, right? Philip yeah. Koku obviously takes the team talk, but I'll bet Wayne Rooney has input in like what he saw, yeah. what's happening, what needs to change, that, that kind of thing.
1: And then ends it with, like, all right, lads, let's do it. I yeah, feel like that's a, sure. a very common statement from Wayne yeah. Rooney. Yes, <laughs> Player manager. That's the difference. Let's one. talk about player mm-hmm. managers. Okay. I used to fantasize about that because, you know, when you're a little kid, you want every job possible. It's why yeah. I was a tri-sport athlete I think as a small child. Like I was definitely going to be a professional baseball, football, soccer player is obviously <laughs> what I was going
0: to do. You were the Bo Jackson of Bon Air.
1: <laughs> Slight differences between me and Bo because uh, he knows best and I did not. Uh, but um, I think it's, it's very different when you have a player manager. I think it's still, well I think it's somewhat different when it's a player manager versus a player coach. I think you probably still have the uh, first team coach or what have you who probably runs the game and does the substitutions and kind of yeah. relays instructions. And I think probably if you're a player Player manager, just by the nature of being involved actively in a soccer game, you're probably not doing as much tactical nuance. Hey, you need to be moving there. You need to be adjusting here.
0: Well, the weird thing is the two, the only two times I can remember Mm -hmm. a proper player manager where they were literally the head coach and the manager, and they also played the majority of all the games, Mm -hmm. is Glenn Hoddle at Swindon Town Mm -hmm. when they got promoted from the second tier up to the Premier League, and he played sweeper, which. In a weird way, it's like instead of standing on the touchline and yelling instructions, he's just standing behind everybody else, like proper sweeper where there's no offside really. He's just deeper than everybody else. And he's patrolling behind the defence and he's receiving the ball and like pinging it to people because mm-hmm. Glenn Huddle can pick out those perfect passes. And he really was, from what I remember, managing the game, right? Calling the subs, telling people what to do. So it's almost like you're at one remove because you're playing sweeper. Mm-hmm. The only other similar situation I remember is Rude Hullit had a season at Chelsea before he was just manager he was player manager and he also played sweeper Mm -hmm. so I think the only way to do it is to be that type of um, at a slight remove from the game playing sweeper type Thing. Otherwise, you're just in the middle of the game, and too much is right. happening, and you've got to give the responsibility to someone else, right? Is
1: Vincent Company a player manager right now, or is he mostly just manager? I don't know. I haven't looked at I what fr- he's I doing. I forgot about that one. It's Anderlecht, right? Yeah, because I was gonna, I was about to make the argument. I think that sort of uh, like the Glenn Hoddle esque player manager, and even like Kenny Dalglish at Liverpool. I think that I can't is... Can't remember where
0: he was on the field when he was player manager for Liverpool.
1: I'm gonna assume striker <laughs> on occasion, um, but but my feeling is either like that's a thing that maybe was more common or easier to do in the past yes. and as the game has evolved and you have Pep Guardiola being mad because you didn't take a touch into three yards of space you only went into two yards of space Yeah, I don't think you can do that and also be a manager It's no coincidence that my two examples are from the early 90s Right (laughs) Exactly So I I do think that is probably part of it The only exception to that I could see is if say Jordan Henderson took over from Jurgen Klopp Like he is not Jurgen Klopp don't get me wrong that is an incredibly demanding system but if you are just going to kind of keep the system in place as it has been yeah. and you feel like you can do the job in training of setting up that system, then I think you can kind of have it the runs idea itself
0: on match day. a little bit. Yeah. And if
1: it doesn't, then the entire team is like, hey, you're not doing what you need to be doing and adjust accordingly. But even then, I think that would be very challenging after the kind of first year, once the influence of Klopp wore off a little bit. Fair. Ready for the final question? I
0: am. It's from Greg Slater. Mm-hmm. Greg says, I noticed that the Premier League doesn't give extra game balls to ball boys. Mm-hmm. I had not noticed this but Nor Greg is I. right. I really had not. <laughs> Greg says in other European leagues and in major league soccer, ball boys around the field are ready to throw a ball uh, to a player anytime it goes out of play. Mm-hmm. Why does the Premier League seem to use just one match ball? Mm-hmm. So, I think
1: we we did some digging on this one, right? Because yeah. I, I had never noticed. We did noticed not strike that. gold. Like, we did and, do some digging. We did not. But like I really this is kind of why I enjoy listener questions because it's a thing that I was like, well, but wait, do they not? Do they not yeah. have ball boys? And they don't. Um, initially, I thought maybe it was because they have Hawkeye and like you couldn't have microchips in every ball. But you do have spare balls because balls can get popped or what have you. So they do have those microchip balls, but again, those aren't kept by the ball boys. Mm-hmm. And I think what it goes back to is a time when you originally had the rules of the match official has to inspect the ball for it to be the official match ball because there were times when you didn't have standardized balls or you weren't all using the exact same one. So you really did have to inspect it to make sure it was up to the quality. I mean, we're talking like 40 years ago mm-hmm. and it seems as though England have more or less kind of kept that as the rule that yep. for the ball to be the official ball the referee has to inspect it it has to be approved the match that's why they pick it up and carry it onto the field with them and once they're done they give it to a player usually the captain of the other team or the coach It's, so ceremonial. And it's, it's but it is it's very official as is tradition, and I think England have yeah. sort of kept that tradition whereas other leagues have sort of moved on and adjusted and adapted in modern era
0: so from what I've read the other system where mm-hmm. the ball boys have balls ready to go it's called the multi-ball system. It makes sense. And it's basically a league choice whether to go with the multi-ball system or not. Um, And I did see a thing where it was used in the championship, the second tier of English football, for a little while. I read a story about Mm. Wolves opting out of it. They made it optional, like you could have it or you could not have it. Uh, and the idea was, the idea is that the ball boys can just quickly give a player a ball. It's back in play really quickly. Mm-hmm. The criticism became that it gives an advantage to the home team because mm-hmm. the ball boys are supplied by the home team. Yep. Right? So they can give it back to their team quicker, yep. give it back to the visiting team slower. You can adjust the speed of how the ball boys give it back, like depending on how the game's going. Mm-hmm. If you're 2 nil up with 10 minutes to go. Maybe there's not such a hurry to get the ball back. So that was the criticism, and that's why some teams started opting out of it because it didn't look quite right.
1: I couldn't find the footage itself, but when I was reading about this, one of the things somebody pointed out was I think for a while England did, aside from like the championship, but even at Premier League level, did experiment with the multi ball system. Oh. And there was a match of the day clip apparently of like West Ham were up 1 0 in a game where they were in like near the relegation zone. It was that season. And I think they sent. Somebody around to collect all the balls from the ball boys to slow everything right. down. So you, and like, I think once you have teams kind of ma- manipulating that, it makes it more obvious that it's being manipulated, and then you go back to the one ball system.
0: Wasn't the, um, wasn't there a moment in the Liverpool-Barcelona semi-final mm-hmm. where the ball boy um, yeah. put the ball back in? Was it for the Trent Alexander-Arnold corner? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's in the Champions League where they do use the multi-ball right. system. So that's an example of what's possible with a home ball boy, right? He's a Liverpool ball boy yep. who made that happen fast. And I think it was like part of the Liverpool plan, right? right. It was to take set pieces quickly because Barcelona would tend to argue when uh, corners or throw-ins or whatever go against them so that's an example of how it can be used to the advantage of the home team that might be a reason why the Premier League
1: wouldn't do it right because I think the other thing that then happens is if you have briefed if you have Jurgen Klopp going around briefing the ball boys of get that ball back in play he's not blinking his eyes are wide open and if you're a ball boy who's like it's my job or a ball kid it's my job I gotta get back in what you also had was then three and four balls coming back on the field really really yes, fast that's the other which problem. then causes problems because there can be times when that's just the ball kids trying to get the ball back in play as fast as they can, mm-hmm. or it can be, I'm gonna throw another ball on the field and now that free kick can't happen in the time that the other team wanted it to happen. So again, there we you go. can get the Haiti-esque gamesmanship.
0: <laughs> so there's no official answer to Greg's question because the Premier League have never put out a statement saying this is why we don't use the right. multi-ball system. But we've got a lot of speculation. We do. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay. It's the it's the best we can do. But I do I really do
1: think maybe this is just me still seeing your people as, as monocle-wearing gin swir- swirlers. But I do have this idea of like the, gin the official carrying on the ball and then handing it to the manager yeah, yeah. at the end to be like, the game has concluded. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it feels very formal and, and proper and English, and I they should be
0: wearing spats. The phrase is, and thus the game has ended. There it
1: is. See, that's, what you, that's how the match report
0: has ended, <laughs> right? And Liverpool have won. <laughs> Thusly the game has ended. <laughs> I had a moment today where um, I, didn't wa- I didn't watch Liverpool-West Ham. I uh-huh. watched the first 15 minutes while I was in studio waiting right. for you, basically. Mm-hmm. And I just assumed, I'll look at the score, Liverpool have won, right? Yep. There was just mm-hmm. no drama to really it. Right. just, oh, yeah, two, no Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, that's the way it goes now. That's yep. the rule. Thus, <laughs> Liverpool have won. That's how, that's how games can come now. Yeah. Um, all right, so thank you to everybody for today's Questions. And thusly the show has concluded. thusly the show has concluded. If you have a question you would like us to answer, please send it to com slash questions. Verily. We will be back tomorrow. Affirmative. With a USA v Costa Rica uh, men's national team preview. So keep your ears peeled for that one. (laughs) Uh, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. That
1: is a new treatment that's sweeping the rounds, you know. It is. Ear ear peeling, I think. Yeah. I, I've made that up, but it feels realistic. I think
0: Samantha had it on sex in the city. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Listeners, thank you for listening and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Oh, but stick around after the TSS theme song for a little sample of a sports show from our partners at Wondery.
2: It's Super Bowl week, Kavitha.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs just went off during these playoffs. And that Niners defense is just stout.
2: Right. And the one guy everyone will be watching closely is the dude who torched the souls of Packers fans and basically gave Jimmy Garoppolo the day off.
1: Poster, left side, another first down carry and more. How about a touchdown? His fourth touchdown of the ball game. Raheem Mostert ran for 220 yards and four touchdowns against Green Bay. This is a guy who was cut by six different NFL teams and who before the season was mostly seen as a special teams player.
2: And so today we're gonna to speak with the athletics Tim Kawakami, who has been covering the 49ers for years, about how much of a surprise Mostert's performance really was, if he was a one-game wonder. And how surfing has influenced the way he runs.
3: The wave hits and then he's gone. It's a very interesting kind of
2: combination of a surfer running back. From Wondery and The Athletic, I'm Anders Kelto.
0: And I'm Kavitha
3: Davidson. This is The Lead. It felt like something great was happening. There
0: was just
1: something about the emotion and that moment. You gotta go faster, faster. The failures of the past don't matter because we've got this now. now you can't
3: that's not good
2: news. This isn't a story where you interview the athlete and go home.
3: It stays with you.
2: So, Tim, Raheem Mostert's performance against the Packers was truly historic. What was his reaction
3: after the game? It was like, Yay, you know, hey, Raheem, did you know it was one of the greatest games a running back ever had in the NFC Championship game? No, I did not, actually, in truthfully for you to even say that right now is like I, I'm still shocked like I can't believe that that's the kind of guy he is the kind of guy a lot of these players are but especially Raheem had been bouncing around from, league, from team to team really wasn't thought of as a running back until the 49ers just started plugging him in there and he just never had a bad run he just never went for less than five yards so you might as well just keep giving it to him
0: somehow the handoff into the arms of Mostert he's gone touchdown San Francisco
3: You know, just he still acts like a journeyman. He acts like a guy who was a special teams player who isn't going to be a featured back while he's putting up some of the, you know, mega numbers in the playoffs. They all treat themselves and they look at the world like they're a bunch of journeymen. It's it's very, very refreshing. Uh, And I think it is a large part of how they've kind of coalesced together. They all, nobody's bigger than anybody else in that locker room. Even the guy who goes for 200 and whatever yards in the NFC Championship game. He's a surfer, right? He is a surfer. First of all, you got no wetsuit on. You're just straight trunks. You riding longboard, shortboard. You been to Mavericks yet? Like, like walk us through the surfing and when you started and how you got into that. You know, I started uh, surfing when I was about 13 or 14, and uh, you know, it's just been a big hit for me. Uh, going out there on the waves and riding the waves, like you see in this video, man. Um, just enjoying the the, the atmosphere in the water and. I, I want to go to Maverick. So you know, man, almost got that. a surfing contract from Billabong. He's, you know, Florida waves so out here in California. We're not sure what that is, but uh, <laughs> I guess they get waves out there. And he's certainly, he runs like a surfer.
0: Mostert in the backfield. He gets it. Samuel out in front. Touchdown.
3: Kind of feels the crest. He kind of like glides towards to where the hole is and he catches the next wave. And there he's gone. And guys... Don't expect him to get past him and to get past him. It's not like a classic running back. He's not like Walter Payton juking, juking, juking. He's kind of kind of filling the moment, feeling where it is. The wave hits and then he's gone. It's a very interesting kind of combination of a surfer running back. And
2: uh do you think he's been enjoying his time in the spotlight here?
3: Yes, I think he has. He understands what it's like not to be any part of this, to be such an afterthought to your cut by five teams. He understands that, you know, a world where he's not a star. He's lived in that world. So he's going to enjoy it a little bit. Again, I don't think he's seeking out crazy fame, but these guys are all kind of enjoying it right now. They're all kind of like, this is pretty good. This is pretty good right now.
2: And so, Tim, Mostert's performance seemed to come out of nowhere. But did you foresee this?
3: You know, I don't think you ever foresee a guy going for two hundred plus in an NFC championship unless he's, you know, top top pick. He certainly wasn't. But he's been impressive. Every time he's carried the ball, he's been impressive. He's been a star special teamer, so you knew he had some skills. But you saw something building there, and you sometimes running backs just come out of nowhere. You just, the Shanahans are famous for that. Pulling some guy out of the fifth round, he runs for 1,000 yards. Mostert is in that category. They tapped into something with him. Kyle Shanahan recognized it. So he's been good for most of the season. Well, Tim, thanks for joining us, and it'll be
2: interesting to see if Mostert and the 49ers can pull it off on Sunday.
3: All right. I'll see you. Talk to you later.